Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be looking at the astrology of July of 2021. Joining me today are astrologers Joe Gleason and Austin Kopic. Hey, welcome, guys. Hey. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us uh, this month. So let me first start by showing uh, our graphic for this month, and I've got a little animation that was prepared by uh, Hugh Tran for us this month, and I'm going to give uh, first, an overview of the astrology of the month, and then after that, we'll break it down into more detail and go through things a little bit more slowly. All right, so first off, here is the animation for July, where we have a nice little opening animation for our logo, the Astrology Podcast. So, here is the astrology of July. We open up the month right away at the top of the month with the most tense aspect, which is the Mars-Saturn opposition, which goes exact on July 1st, and that is followed shortly after by a exact Mars-Uranus square, which occurs on July 3rd. Uh, after that, the following week on the 9th, we have a new moon taking place in the sign of Cancer, followed by Mercury ingressing into Cancer on the 11th. Uh, eventually, the following week, Venus ingresses into Virgo on the 21st, and we get the Sun ingressing into Leo on the 22nd. Our second lunation of the month is a full moon in Aquarius on the 23rd of July, and then after that, we get a quick succession of Mercury ingressing into Leo on the 27th, Jupiter making its retrograde ingress back into Aquarius on the 28th, and then finally Mars ingressing into Virgo on the 29th of July. So that's kind of the broad overview of the astrology of this month. Um, so we've been doing this forecast for five years, and um, uh, as I announced, we announced in the May forecast, Kelly Surtees is relocating to a new country, and so she's taking a few months off, and we're having a, a series of guest hosts who are filling in for her while she's gone. So this month, joining us is Joe Gleason, who's an astrologer from Oklahoma and is the former vice president of the Association for Young Astrologers. And Joe just joined me on the last episode of the podcast to talk about the astrology of Mercury, but this is her first time doing a forecast episode with the two of us. So welcome and thanks for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've been listening to this episode since 2015. So it's just like it's a huge honor. And I really appreciate you guys for letting me fill in for Kelly. So you, you mean you. you've had like a vision of this episode that we're recording today <laughs> since 2015 that you've been <laughs> waiting for in your dreams? Haunted by it. Right. I'm haunted by it. Uh I never really imagined it, no, actually. <laughs> so yeah, it's but it's awesome. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, we're really glad to have you. And um, Austin is joining us from a new temporary location before he gets his new forever home upstairs uh, next time. But you have a good internet connection this month, and you're joined by some yeah, lovely well, figures. Yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Okay. It should be better. We're not. Um, uh, we're not so subject to the the whims of Elon's satellites here. Yes, uh, Elon Musk and his fickle uh, satellite network of doom that is sometimes good and sometimes bad. <laughs> uh, all right. Doom so, and convenience. Doom and convenience. That's a good uh, tagline for this month, actually, for the astrology of July. So, um, why don't we, should we start, should we just like break it down and jump into the details since we start off with some of the most tense aspects of the month at the top? Or should we talk about Big picture overview things first. They're almost one and the same. That's true. Because, you know, we really have 
We really have the Saturn Uranus square, which was exact for the second time in June, um, being activated over and over and over again throughout July. And we have it begins with Mars activating it, um, but then we also get Venus activating the same signature and the Sun activating the same signature and Mercury activating the same signature. So we're really getting, you know, um, and what's interesting is all of those planets I just mentioned activate the Saturn Uranus square from the same place from Leo. Um, and so we're, we're kind of getting four versions of the same thing plus the moon. Plus the moon will swoop in there. Yeah. So we, we see that exact Saturn Uranus square, which went exact in mid June, but, um, it's getting reactivated and getting triggered, even though it's now sort of gently, slowly moving away, uh, gets reactivated by at the, at the least that Mars, uh, opposition to Saturn and the Mars square to Uranus, but then a series of other planets that come through fixed signs and hit that as well. Yeah, and what's interesting about this month too is it's the first time we've had this square activated from Leo, um, aside from the moon transiting Leo every month. Um, so that seems important and pretty unique because last year, Leo season and Scorpio season, actually Saturn was back in Capricorn. So we've had these, this Saturn-Uranus square activated from Aquarius with planets conjoining Saturn, squaring Uranus. We've had this activated from Taurus with planets conjoining Uranus and squaring Saturn, but we have this opposition activating it from Leo. So yeah, you guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's just it seems like it's just filling out the missing piece in a sort of uh, T-square that is going to be tricky for those with fixed sign placements. So last year, of course, in 2020, it was the cardinal signs that were getting hit the hardest. But this year, that has really shifted to the fixed signs. And um, you know, now the f one of the final fixed signs that wasn't really getting activated as much Leo is while we have these transits through Leo over the course of the next four weeks. Yeah, I was thinking about this. Uh, so we talked when we had our chat the other day. Joe, you made a really good point about um, the fact that these planets are are activating from Leo, bringing the um, you know, bringing literally a new angle to this and that being more of a personal angle, a sort of what about me? Because and so I, I was thinking about that as a result. And, you know, with Saturn, you know, it's sort of like the world and time, what's going on, where are things going? Uranus and Taurus is very much like the status of work and food and land, all of which are in currency, all of which are changing and being disrupted. Right. And then the Leo, um, you know, as you said, there is, it brings in like, okay, all that's happening, but like, what, a, so what am I doing? I'm not the land. I am not the, um, cruel spirit of history. Right. <laughs> like, what about me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's this very much, um, like, what about what I want in all of this? Cause the Saturn Uranus square, it's felt, at least for me personally, a lot like trying to make, some things more sustainable. Like it's, it's, we have Saturn in its domicile. That's a good thing. That's helpful and constructive. And with these, with this Uranus stuff bringing in like so many changes, like plenty of upheaval, up, upheaval and disturbance, like in our personal lives. And I mean, broadly speaking as well, it's like, okay, how do we at least gain a little bit of control or containment or at least make what we're doing and how we're adapting sustainable? Um, and that's a, 
big job <laughs> in and of itself. So I feel like these Leo transits are like, what do I actually desire? Like, what is, what kind of purpose am I feeling around what I want and what I actually want to do? Um, and it's tough because those desires and those perhaps even revelations, um, I think about Leo and illumination, you know, being ruled by the sun and a sense of not just like, I have these ego needs and wants, but like a true sense of purpose. Um, it's hard to have those revelations when they're getting opposed by Saturn. <laughs> and Saturn's like, no. <laughs> or, you know, maybe the no from Saturn to some of these Leo revelations is, okay, that's cool that you're having this revelation, but that too needs to be sustainable. You need to have a structure to support it, et cetera, et cetera. So um, that's what, something I've been thinking about too. That makes sense. That, um, I thought what you said about the um, sustainability um, uh, being in, uh, being a facet of the Saturn-Uranus thing, it definitely feels like it's pressure testing the stability of various things and, you know, and showing us on a like cultural level, like which institutions are not sustainable in their current form, which uh, unfortunately I think is too far too high a number. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Something I was thinking about the other day when I was I was driving on the highway for like the first time in a while to take a long drive uh, somewhere and um, there was like this guy that was like tailgating me and he was like trying to get me to go faster and he was just driving like right up against me until he's like a foot against my bumper in order to just try to push me ahead um, versus like later on down the road there was somebody that was driving way under the speed limit and it was like holding up this entire line of cars. And I just thought, thought that was a great metaphor for Mars and Saturn, where Mars energy is that thing that's like forcing you and pushing you to go faster than you want to go otherwise and almost acts as an irritant, like a hot pepper or something is an analogy we've used in the past, whereas Saturn is that thing that's forcing you to slow down and like almost grind to a halt and have to um, push forward, but much more slowly and much more deliberately than you would like otherwise. But both of those, because they're extremes, cause tend to cause uncomfort because it's the most comfortable thing is being somewhere in the middle. And I think that opposition between Mars and Saturn is going to be pulling us in those two extremes of like hot and cold or fast and slow in whatever two houses that opposition falls in in that part of our chart between the Leo and the Aquarius axis. Um, and that was one of the main images I really thought of for that first week of July. Yeah, that's a great image. Yeah, and you also, I would say you also have um, the relationship between control and release, right? Saturn is control and contain, and Mars is, you know, almost all of the martial signatures are about like a release of energy, whether that's a burst of speed or an outburst of speech, right? And so um, uh, this is interesting to talk about because I'm actually doing like uh, in my year three class right now, we're, we're focused on hyper analyzing just two planets in aspect, like going back around to the beginning. Um, and so one of the things, um, you know, that Abu Mashar as well as common sense tells you is like, so to what degree are they interfering with each other's significations? And if they're in a place to interfere rather than cooperate, then 
which one is better at enacting its significations, right? And so, uh, as Joe mentioned earlier, Saturn's in its uh, own domicile here. So Saturn's ability to control or to slow down, right, is <clears throat> is very strong. And Mars is in, in a place of particular weakness in Leo, but nor is it in a place of like blatant strength. And so if there was just that, we could look at it that way, but then we have Uranus. And so how do, how do both of you see the, the Uranus um, interfering and contesting both, of the, uh, both Mars and Saturn, who are already in a place of argumentation? The main thing I think of is like Uranus adding even more urgency, like more of a sense of urgency, like Mars being in a fire sign, being like, oh my God, wait, I have all these desires. I know what I want now. Let's do it immediately. And Uranus being like, yes, right now, instantly, like, let's just go for it. And that's the literal opposite of what Saturn wants at any point in time. Saturn's like, no, build it to last. And Mars and Uranus are like, you know, do do it immediately, like whatever it takes, like just see what happens kind of energy. That's what I think of with Mars Uranus. What about you, Chris? Yeah, it's like that. Um, you're already trying to balance the tensions between Mars and Saturn, which is hard enough on its own. But Uranus is bringing this wild card factor that's that's disrupting things and bringing something out of right out of right field or left field, whatever the the phrase is. And um, but also speeding it up. That's a really good thing because with Uranus things, it's like you have to just think on your feet and you don't have time to sit and plan things out, which is more of a Saturnian type thing. If Saturn was on its own, but when you throw Mars. And Uranus together in a tight aspect um, that definitely amps up the urgency and the speed with which events happen, um, so that you have to think on your feet, and it kind of rewards those who who can do that and who can kind of like move quickly with the um, undercurrents. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I would agree. Um, yeah, I think that whatever sort of excellence. At containment that Saturn might have if it's just Saturn Mars in these positions is uh, decided strongly in the favor of um, <laughs> of Mars. You know, I, I think Uranus and Mars are friends, maybe like dangerous friends, um, but they they there's a lot that they agree on, right? Like both of them favor um, movement, often like swift and not careful movement. Over, um, you know, over caution, planning, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I like that. Um, dangerous friends is a good is a good analogy because, like, it's it's those the friends that like reinforce some of their bad tendencies, like breaking away from things suddenly, or like cutting all ties and like running off and moving to, um, you know, a different country on a whim or something like that. Uh, but it's always with a quickness and a, and a suddenness that can be disruptive to the existing patterns and stability of your life, which is often what Saturn represents. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And All so right. I don't know. I, I would expect um <clears throat> there's sort of how do I put this? Like, so there's the energy of like explosion, of outburst, of you know, you have the heaviness. I, I see like um, sort of, um, you know, with Saturn, we have containing structures. We'd call that walls. Um, and then Mars Uranus is like a charge set in those walls that blows it apart or, <clears throat> um, you know, or, or breaks some of it. 
there's definitely like we'll have some events of that nature, maybe cultural, maybe literal, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You never know. Um, but like there's definitely some like um oh, it's, it's like ignition. And it's not um when I say like explosion, it's not just like things, you know, in the like it's not um just something exploding randomly. It's like that Mars Uranus energy pressing against a structure, right? Like it's it's not um yeah, it, it has a particular character. And so like internally, um, to, to loop it back, what you were saying about stability, Joe, um, <clears throat> you know, so Saturn might be our plan and the structure of our life. Sometimes things aren't working and they haven't been working for a long time. And so that Mars Uranus is very much like, instead of reform, um, it's the like, let's just like level it and then start again. Right. And then, um, hopefully that's not, someone's whole life, but like sometimes there's an area of your life where you just have to demo it. You're like, I've, my approach isn't working here. I need to like scratch this and just rethink this from the ground up. And usually there's like a moment where that all comes together where you're like, Oh fuck this. This just isn't working. Whether that's like your career or your religion and metaphysic or the way you handle your finances or any of the house topics. Yeah, yeah, very true. And just Leo in general and thinking about Leo and illumination in the sun, it, it reminds me of being like, oh, I can't unsee this. Like now I know exactly how much this is not working. And just knowing that like with this Saturn-Uranus stuff, especially with Jupiter no longer co-present with Saturn, like some things don't need to bend or shift. They need to just break. And being like, oh, now I know this. Because even, you know, the the ruler of Uranus, Venus is going to be following close behind um, and like also running that gauntlet. So yeah, it feels like things you can't unsee. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Thank you for bringing up the Venus. Because I was thinking of this because, you know, it was like, oh, it's the same thing hit from the same, same angle, but many times. So this like Saturn Uranus check-in adjustment um, starts with Mars. So it starts in the sort of rudest way possible. Um, but then, then we, then we have Venus, right? And yes, it's the same configuration positions, but it's a different energy. Uh, do either you have a read on like, what is Venus coming to the same Saturn Uranus square look, feel like, and, you I know, mean, shortly after the Mars for some people, that's going to be like cleanup because Mars like sort of wrecks the place and then Venus is the one that sometimes has to come in and sweep up after Mars in the week or so following that by hitting some of the same degrees in a person's natal chart. But then at the same time, there for some people it's not going to be that cleanup process at all, but instead it's going to be felt as, you know, first you're going to get a Venus Saturn opposition, which is like a uh, distance in relationships, or sometimes a cooling down and coldness of relationships, followed immediately by Venus square Uranus, which is like sometimes a a disruption um, and uh, sort of instability in the relating. So that almost, you know, for some people is not going to be cleanup so much as an intensification of some of those things that were already thrown up in the air by Mars. Yeah, I think so too. It really brings the like Mars is passionate in its own way um but so you know in venus very uh, famously so there's there's definitely a sense of really feeling 
the Saturn Uranus, you know, because again, this is all year and most of next year is this Saturn Uranus in the background and this like this tension between a desire for order and safety um, in the in the midst of with Uranus, a need for change as well as sort of ongoing crises um, that keep asking for change, but not necessarily delivering exactly the shape of it. And so this, you know, we're this, you know, I was thinking about this as we're checking in with this, like this is a, a multi-year process. Um, and so with Venus, I think part of it is um, like feeling it and also bringing um, the relational component into it. One of the things that makes me nervous about as I think about some of the keywords you've been using for Mars Uranus especially is just the fact that that Mars Uranus square goes exact just like within 24 hours of uh, the 4th of July, and the moon actually swoops into Taurus and conjoins Uranus um, in the middle of the 4th of July and sort of completes that T-square with Venus and Mars on the one hand conjoining around mid-Leo and uh, opposing Saturn at 12 Aquarius while squaring Uranus at 13 Taurus. So that's like, to whatever extent solar returns of country charts are a thing, it's like baking that into the uh, solar return chart for at least the U.S. for this year. Uh, Chris, could you um, could you put the the uh, the the DC the White House DC location in? Do you know what the ascendant is? We probably shouldn't tangent too hard on this, but I I'm interested. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, should I run it for like the Sibley chart and do an actual solar return chart? No, I mean just just the um, that um, just yeah, just the solar return. Yeah, would be great for DC, or I guess. Yeah, it would be for well, DC or Philadelphia. All right, let me pull up the Sibley chart. Go DC now, just because that's where the like center of power is. Yeah, oh, entity. right, because it was Philadelphia. Otherwise, for the Sibley chart, um, let me do the solar return. Have the same rising. Yeah. Um, all right. So I just did uh, very quickly in Solar Fire the return chart for the Sibley chart to see approximately when it would be for that. Uh, it's it's relocating it to Denver, which is annoying, but it's still pretty close in terms of when the exact solar return will occur. Right. So um, you think maybe that's a Sag rising for DC if we... Yeah, like two hours earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, let me calculate. I'll just do a noon chart for uh, Washington, DC. Uh, it, and this is part of our like ongoing you, you talking me around to, and actually more 2020 talking me around to the Sibley chart being more impressive than I thought it was at first. Yeah, my, um, my sort of opening case for the Sibley chart is Sag Rising, what's one of the most famous American like images? Cowboy. It's a horseman with a missile yeah. weapon. Yeah. Also, the eagle, Jupiter ruled animal. But that is, uh, see, I didn't, I didn't, um, when I look at um, July 4th, I tend to just think of how many fireworks accidents will there be this year? <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> how many fingers will we lose? Yeah. Well, Brave just fingers. It reminds me also of just when we were looking at the inauguration chart and the, um, the configurations that day that were weirdly tense, and that question sometimes of 
when does a configuration manifest immediately that day versus when it is the start of something, how much is it just creating a, a root chart that's going to manifest later at some point when that configuration gets activated? Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's that's our, our our initial thing is the opening tension with the um, the Mars Saturn, the Mars Uranus, and then Venus swooping in and moving through Leo. Um, Austin, you mentioned uh, the currency stuff, and over the past month, Bitcoin has taken like a huge dive. I don't know if that happened. I think that happened after, which is really interesting because a lot of the some of the financial astrologers were thinking that Jupiter and Pisces was going to be good for that, but instead, it seems to have done almost the opposite and it started to tank, um, partially due to your friend Elon Musk and <laughs> your your close friend and his um, antics on Twitter. Where he's like saying different things about it, it's causing the price to go up or down or what have you. But that um, volatility, the volatility of currency and of the value of things, has been a really interesting manifestation of Uranus and Taurus. It's very literal, um, as well as I was watching uh, this um, news thing about the just the disruptions and the supply lines in general all over the world for different, both basic commodities like wood in the U.S. Because of like unexpectedly things selling out, but also things like microprocessors, which is a very like Uranus type thing as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, in terms of stores of value, in addition, maybe second only to currency, um, there's property and land, right? And the property market in the United States has gone totally wild. Um, you know, the basically big investment firms. Um, think that land and houses are probably a great place to store value. And so have begun, you know, people who are, you know, trying to buy a house are competing with all cash offers from hedge funds. And it's driven in a lot of areas in the United States, it's driven the house prices just nuts. And also it's like, so that, that is in and of itself a, a volatility, right? Um, people weren't expecting that. Um, you know, it's a spike that wasn't expected, but it's also, it, it suggests future volatility, right? It's not just like, that's the way it is. And it's going to, they're going, the prices are going to stay at that level. And there's no way these investment firms will change their mind, right? Like it'll, like, that's also, it's, it's, it's a little Bitcoiny, right? <laughs> right. It, it's a price spike and like, you know, it's going to dip again. But you don't know how deep or exactly when. Um, but you know, as um, you know, like that's uh, houses are the primary, well, like for most people, um, like houses are uh, are are where are the greatest stores of value, right? Um, and so it's not only like the store of value in currency, but where do you put your currency? Right. And for a lot of people, it's either I hope to be able to put it in a house or I put it in a house. And so having uh, home prices uh, be wild like that, it's, you know, it's like it's changing how you would like your net worth as you would read on paper. It changes, you know, how you would plan things. It changes how much money a bank would loan you, et cetera, et cetera. It's um, a very uh, fundamental Taurus store of value instability. Yeah, for sure. Um, another thing that happened, uh, the, the exact day, speaking of the Saturn-Uranus square, the exact day of the second Saturn-Uranus square in June, um, remember back in when the, in the first one in like January, around the time of the exact square, 
there was that huge like power outage all across Texas, which was a really great and really literal manifestation of Saturn square Uranus and like old power structures suddenly going on the fritz and breaking down. And um, to the day of the second Uranus square, the Texas like power company or grid announced possible shortages again um, because it was like the opposite issue where it had gotten so hot out that suddenly um, the system was being overloaded because people, everyone was like turning on their air conditioners. So they were asking people to uh, conserve energy in order to avoid more like rolling shutdowns or power outages like January, which was an interesting continuation and just reminded me that that's one instance of something in a, on a macro level that's happening on in individual lives this year when that Saturn Uranus square is hitting a sensitive point in the chart is just um, recurringly uh, checking in on existing power structures, sometimes unexpectedly breaking down, especially when there hasn't been good upkeep of, the, of them up to this point. Yeah, so that just uh, sparked a what is hopefully an insight for me. Um, so back to the sustainability and sustainability test quality of this. Um, so I think a big question is uh, how much energy does it take to simply continue doing things the way you, you, me, we are doing? Or uh, how much energy does it take to, take to just keep doing it this way? Right. Whether it's like, trying to you know experience a cool 68 degrees and when it's 108 outside whether it's like trying to do things this way in your life or whatever but like how much energy or do you have to constantly feed something in order to just keep it st steady and then on the uranus level one of the things i think uranus uh, likes to do and one of the positive and negative significations is that uranus unbinds or releases energy Right. You know, when you get to not do, when you get to drop something that's hard and you have all of this energy that you'd invested in that, like you get it back. Mm. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, and, and it's also hitting, I mean, the Saturn in, Quar in Aquarius, it's been interesting seeing the people going through their Saturn returns in their late 20s right now and having that addition of the Uranus square at the same time. Um, how have you been seeing anybody that's sort of your rough age group, right, Joe? Like, how have you been seeing Saturn returns manifest for either friends or for clients as it's been going through Aquarius lately? I've had a lot of Saturn and Aquarius clients. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a lot of what you were just mentioning, Austin, actually, this idea of just like, oh, I'm realizing how energetically expensive just keeping going this way is. And it's been interesting seeing Uranus and Taurus show up as like um, desires you didn't expect to have, <laughs> like uh, very Venusian in some ways. And like, what are my actual values? Those kinds of things. In some ways, those are Saturn return questions, but it's kind of electrified by the Uranus square in a really interesting way. And And being like, oh, I had sort of a loose idea of what I wanted for myself as I grew up or like for me in the future in five years, 10 years. And suddenly I have these new priorities or these new desires that I that, that aren't going away or that I can't unsee. And now I have to see how I can build sustainability around them or what really needs to go. Like what I no longer have the energy to keep doing if I'm going to do this other thing or do this additional thing or change direction, et cetera, et cetera. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so I think, you know, one thing that's just really interesting is we, you know, we do all this talking about Saturn returns. Um, and yes, there's the return and doubling down on the natal position, but for so many, it's not uncommon at all that when Saturn happens to get back to where it was when you were born, there's also something going on, right? Like Saturn happens to be square Uranus this time. Um, for me and my my fellow Saturn and Virgo brethren, when we had our Saturn return, it was during the Saturn Uranus oppositions. And for the Saturn and Capricorns, they got lucky enough to have a Saturn Pluto. Like Pluto was just there. Um, did either of you see Bo Burnham's recently released special Inside? No, mm -hmm. I haven't seen it yet. Is he Saturn returning right now? Uh, well, it was in Capricorn. And okay. so literally okay. it's a, he usually does like big, um, like big colorful musical stage shows. Um, but he made this in 2020. So it's him in a room. Right. Uh, that's why it's inside. And, um, you know, it's the, the most Saturn return, Saturn conjunct Pluto return special ever. I love that. Yeah. He's literally stuck inside, but being creative and being him himself. Yeah. And being, um, super depressed. <laughs> and it's full of anxiety about the world and his place in it. Wow. It's oh yeah, it's awesome. Tracks. Yeah. It's um it was actually a little too on the nose as far as the emotional tone of 2020, where mm -hmm. I was I appreciated it the first time, but it was like it just, you know, it it put me in exactly that mood. Um watching it again and listening to the songs afterwards. Um there's there's a lot there where you don't feel quite as um, crushed under the avalanche of history, but yeah, it's fucking awesome. It's also just like the most Saturn conjunct Pluto Saturn return ever. Yeah. You'll have to check that out. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we had talked about in preparing for this episode was since all this is taking place in fixed signs, the notion of this may be referring to ongoing things rather than sudden ones in, in many instances. And of course, you know, Uranus shakes that up a little bit, but for the most part, like Mars, Saturn, all of this is, um, you know, stuff that stays. Like fixed signs have more staying power and tend to represent situations that stick around for a while. Um, so that might be something we want to talk about or mention, at least in passing as well. Yeah, definitely. Like the, um, like 2020s big configurations were cardinal, right? So cardinal things are new, they happen, they're meaningful, they may have consequences um, moving into the future, but it's really about the thing that happens. Whereas fixed is, you know, as you said, ongoing, right? Like this housing thing, like it's an ongoing concern and it intersects with ongoing concerns about class mobility in the United States. Um, the sustainability, like sustainability is literally about ongoing, right? Like there's that, <laughs> like those two intersect yeah. perfectly. Um, the, uh, if we're looking at crypto, like an ongoing challenge to the historical strategy for storing value in currency, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and of course, one of the things that's been happening recently, that's been a bit of a, a change and transition as we've been experienced, we've now had a month now, actually, we're, I think we're recording this episode to the day on the day that Jupiter is stationing retrograde in Pisces, right? It's the 20, today is the 19th. So Jupiter is fully stationing today and tomorrow. So we've reached actually peak Jupiter in Pisces right now. And one of the signatures for this month is that Jupiter is going to start 
walking backwards and then eventually retrograde or regress back into Aquarius where it has unfinished business. Um, so we'll save some of that for obviously later when we talk about that more. But it's been interesting seeing the change of even just here locally in Denver, like everything opening up again and people um, not having to wear masks and stuff in stores. And like it, it was really almost bizarre, like walking into like a Whole Foods and it's almost like going back in time to two years ago to like 2019 or early 2020 before everything went went dark. Um, and that's been a really interesting experience that's coincided with with Jupiter and Pisces, which has almost been a little bit too on the nose in terms of like what we expected in like the year ahead forecast. Um, but how how have your experiences been in terms of that? Or have you seen that as well, Joe? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's I mean, it's definitely been different. And this is something I've been thinking about a lot. Um, how Jupiter and Pisces you know, it looks really great on paper and it is great. It is, it's Jupiter in, in its domicile, which we haven't had since 2019. Um, 20, yeah, 2019, right when Jupiter was in Sagittarius. Um, otherwise, we've had Jupiter and Saturn ruled signs, Jupiter, Saturn co-presence and how, um, you know, along with, and I've been feeling this personally. I know this isn't everyone's experience. But Jupiter in Pisces does bring some relief and some some hope. Um, it's Jupiter, the planet that gives us um, things like optimism or hope or belief, being resourced to actually do that uh, versus just not very well resourced to do that. And there's almost a little bit of uh, hesitancy for me, at least, or kind of trepidation, like holding on so tightly, like be having such a Saturnian like grip present for so long with Jupiter and being able to release that a little bit has been like, oh no, but what if it's not actually safe to believe this or to be optimistic? And um, it reminds me of like experiencing some kind of like pain or grief and holding it in for a really long time and then having like um, a, like a grandparent you haven't seen in a really long time, thinking of like a Jupiter and Pisces figure who like gives you a big hug and you finally cry, like, <laughs> which is like a cathartic and really healing experience, but like it can be kind of intense too. So this is, I mean, I'm kind of digressing from like the, the COVID stuff, the mask stuff, but um, well, but, it's felt but a little your, like that to me. Well, I would just say, Joe, that what you're like, the the letting go of a grip, you're talking about opening up which is yeah. exactly what Chris is talking about. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, it's like, there's a little bit of reluctance and like, Ooh, is this really okay? Like, you know, how can we be sure? Cause we have been kind of holding it together for so long. So it's an interesting yeah. mixture of experiences, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You were saying yesterday that once you release holding something in a, a grip in your hand for a long time, sometimes your hand still hurts for like a little while because you've been holding, yeah. clenching it so tightly for so long that there's still like a residual um, feel, physical feeling from that. Yeah, yeah you it's get like, like claw hand. <laughs> yeah, it's like, do, can I? St do I still remember how to do this? Like, do I even remember how to be like optimistic and stuff like that? And um, that reminds me, Austin. Yesterday you were speaking a little bit about expectation management. And I think that's really relevant for Jupiter in Pisces and Saturn remaining in Aquarius. And I think it can kind of go both ways. Like if you expect the world from this brief little ingress of Jupiter into Pisces, like 
you might be disappointed, but I, I feel like it can go the other way too. Like, um, don't set your expectations so low that you kind of squander like a beneficent time, like the the hug Jupiter is offering, if you will, which is very yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I think we we talk a lot about how should we say, sort of um, putting. Um, fear or difficulty of an upcoming configuration in its proper place. Like, oh, Saturn is going to be here in your life. Saturn isn't everywhere, right? Um, but there's um, there's a, there's a little bit less of that around, um, like a you know the the slow benefic uh, around Jupiter, where it's like, yeah, it it is it, you know it's good fortune, it's good spirit, it's all this stuff, but it's like in that area for that time. Right. And I think that um, managing expectations um, using houses is very helpful. Right. Like um, I know somebody <clears throat> who's um, who's uh, uh, who's IC is in Pisces. Right. So this was good for like um, for physical space, property stuff. Um, for me, it's my ninth, my like general outlook and energy. Um, is a lot better. My sect light is also in Pisces. Um, you know, if someone, but you know, um, I wouldn't expect, I don't know, I wouldn't expect, um, like, uh, like a fourth house thing from my transit, right? Because it's in the ninth. Um, if it's in someone's second, like, yeah, there are probably going to be some opportunities to make some money, right? Or get some stuff. Um, but like locating both locating in terms of topic area as well as length of time. Right. And not assuming that the world shifts permanently because of one planet. Like there's still the rest of the planets. Yeah. And I feel like that contrast is highlighted. Um, and this is similar to, it's actually kind of the same thing you were talking about for the June forecast, Austin, about Jupiter being off axis from the Aquarius stuff. Um, and now it's Leo Aquarius stuff. And so for the majority of the month, we have even the sun in Cancer off-axis from the Leo-Aquarius uh, activation and Jupiter in Pisces off-axis from that as well. And it's, like, interesting how that just kind of, like, increases what is already a very, like, contrasty month with the opposition from Leo activating that Saturn-Uranus square. So didn't, that's something I was thinking about, too. Yeah, didn't we have um, – there was some – Kind of awkward, but kind of funny metaphor for this. Um, <laughs> was it the poison you're gonna, you're gonna thing? Have, it was ice cream and be. poison. <laughs> <laughs> there's no, there's no ice cream in the po or there's no poison in the ice cream, but there's also no ice cream in the poison. Yeah, that, it's like, just the, poison or just ice cream. Yeah, like the benefic, uh, like Jupiter's not helping with any of the Saturn, Mars, Uranus problems, um, but the Mars, Uranus, Saturn problems also aren't getting in the way of any of the stuff that Jupiter's trying to enact. Yeah, for for now during the first part of uh, you know June and and July, but one of the things I'm thinking about, especially this month, is Jupiter, you know, backtracking now. That's starting today. It's going to start backtracking and heading back towards Aquarius. And the question is, what does backtracking look like with Jupiter retrograding back into Aquarius? Um, you know, on the macro level, we're talking about things like, of course, like COVID and things have been opening back up with Jupiter in Pisces and people are not wearing masks and stuff. Um, but you know, what unfinished business is there? And um, you know, in some countries in like India and the UK, of course, they've had this new Delta variant of COVID. And 
um, that's spreading to the U.S. or has already spread to the U.S. and just what that looks like in terms of if there's an uptick of things and if Jupiter going back into Aquarius means that there isn't some unfinished business um, that has to be sort of cleaned up before we can really actually move forward into this little preview of Jupiter and Pisces that we've had so far. Yeah, well, I one um, one way of looking at Jupiter going back into Aquarius is to help Saturn with the things, right? And if we're talking about like a lot of systems uh, in the midst of a fixed crisis and needing um, serious reform or you know whatever it is, reform or revolution or you know whatever it is, um, but like. Th- you know, in a sense, Saturn is the systems being challenged. Um, and we certainly on a personal and collective level, like need help upgrading the systems or redesigning the systems. Um, and so that's not as fun for Jupiter, right? Cause it's helping with a problem rather than doing a good, um, outside of the problem, doing a separate good. Um, but yeah, there's definitely unfinished business there. I, I would also add that, you know, with Jupiter on a personal level, like Jupiter's retrogradation doesn't like turn. It's not like um, like a Venus retrograde where Venus's significations really change. Um, it's more about consolidating gains uh, or opportunity. You know whether that's a gain of I don't know being more um, you know uh, having a mental health boost from Jupiter and Pisces or um, getting an opportunity for some work or whatever. But like. Jupiter, I see the retrograde often being the like, okay, so can you keep or consolidate that? Or does it just like flow through your fingers and now it's not there? Yeah, I love that. Like consolidating gains. I've been thinking about that so much. Like what what are we learning right now about having a little bit of benefic Jupiter, a lot of benefic Jupiter to like support and help out off axis from the Saturn stuff, the Saturn Uranus stuff? Um, and how can we keep that or like integrate that into our structures that have at least at some points for all of us been mostly about like survival or like holding it together during like an absolutely wild past couple of years. But yeah, I think that's going to be important with Jupiter moving back into Aquarius. Like what, what did you learn? Can you keep that little spark of hope? Can you like protect the little flame? Like, so it doesn't go out once Jupiter moves back into Aquarius. Yeah. Um, to keep the hope and hope for future return to that, because we'll return back to Jupiter and Pisces, uh, especially next year, but also go back and firm up whatever the, I like to, you're mentioning and, and, Dina in the chat mentions innovation, and I like that because that ties into what you were saying, Austin, because one of the things that happened at the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in December, of course, that was really interesting is we saw like a medical innovation with the public release of the vaccines that coincided really closely with Jupiter and Saturn, um, but maybe that's part of Jupiter going back into Aquarius is either something related to that or related to other sorts of innovations, maybe technological innovations that are needed in order to um, get past some of this and sort of like move on societally. Yeah, I'm not super hopeful about <laughs> a society's ability to adapt meaningfully in even this decade. I think on a personal level, um, like that that idea of like 
bringing new bringing new tech to things, approaching things in a new way. Also, literally new tech like upgrading your microphone or whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about that because it's a different microphone than usual. <laughs> but like yeah. that, I feel I think that structure is um, very doable on a personal level. Right. Yeah. Just little incremental changes and upgrading and the ways that sometimes technology can alter one's life for, for the better. Obviously, it can be downsides as well, but there might be something about Jupiter and Aquarius that we need to go back to and revisit that was an initial push or inkling of growth and change, but that isn't quite done yet and maybe needs a second push. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a systems upgrade right like yeah. again it's like with uranus you have that like that energy of like okay rethinking the whole approach um and i think um yeah and I, I think jupiter in aquarius is very friendly with that even though they're in a square and that could be like like uh, i don't know like a whole new perspective on your diet right if that's a, an area of concern or um how you exercise or how you arrange your time professionally, whatever, like it's like that system upgrade. But there is um, the one of the sort of Uranus square parts of that is, and part of Uranus is that there's always um, an element of experiment of like you don't know exactly how it's going to work, and so you you know you have sort of the the danger of what you could characterize as like the Frankenstein where you create something that's not exactly what, you know, that has some problems or even worse, the windows 10 upgrade, right? Where they're like, no, no, we're, we're doing a system upgrade and it breaks your camera and your mic and your steam controller, which it did last yeah. week. Ugh. Hey, um, that happens. So we've been talking about some of the big macro stuff. I want to back up because one of the notes that we have for very early in the month is actually um, the final square between Mercury and Uranus because Mercury, of course, we're getting out of the retrograde period and Mercury is finishing its trip through uh, the sign through its home sign of Gemini. And uh, so that makes it one of our Last signatures for very early in July is just like the very tail end of Mercury and Gemini. And with that, on July 6th, we get the exact third exact in the past month or two Mercury Neptune square, um, which can be a little bit tricky, a little bit deceptive. Joe and I, in the Mercury episode that came out, I think right before or two episodes before this one, talked about. Mercury's um, desire to transmit information and to signify communication, whereas Neptune's tendency to cloud things, and that sometimes being a bit antithetical to Mercury's uh, tendencies and desires in indicating like cloudy communication or sometimes miscommunication in some ways. So that might be that's a little not ongoing, but a little minor signature that's worth mentioning on July sixth, and. Um, after that, that actually brings us to the electional chart for this month. So this might be a good good time to mention that since it happens relatively early on the month on July eighth. Uh, is this a good good segue for the electional chart? You think? Yeah, yeah. I, I would just add one thing. Um, part of what we've seen, part of what that Mercury, that series of Mercury Neptune squares has like sort of time to, is the like UFO disclosure talk. 
Um, we talked about that last month and it'd be interesting to see if there's like another like point of emphasis or, you know, temporary conclusion to that on that, that, that last Mercury Neptune square. Also, I just add Mercury's in pretty good shape. Other than that, for the first part of the month, it's like freshly morning risen. It's direct. It's in Gemini. Like Mercury has a lot of, um, a lot of goodness. Yeah. Uh, well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because this is a June thing, but um, Neptune stations retrograde in Pisces uh, towards the end of June on the 25th. And like right around, I think that's the day or within a day, um, Congress is supposed to release whatever its final report is on the UFO situation where um, they've released some like redacted report, but they're supposed to release um, some other report that's supposed to be less redacted or, or whatever the final report is. So it's weird that that's happening so close to the Neptune station. I think what was the the keyword we used last month was like the confirmation of mysteries or something mysterious. I think that was yeah, the keyword the, we used. We, the, that object is definitely unidentified. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, we should see more of that when the unclassified report is expected to be released by Congress on June 25th, which is literally the day that Neptune stations in Pisces. So we'll see what yeah, happens. That's interesting. Yeah, that that's nice. That that sort of confirms what we were thinking about the time the this being time to the Mercury Neptune thing. Right. So in terms of the electional chart this month, um, the highlighted election this month that we picked out for an auspicious date to begin a new venture and or undertaking using the principles of electional astrology is July 8th. And we decided to highlight this because we wanted to catch now that Mercury is no longer retrograde and it's direct. Um, you know, it's also tricky because it's still coming off of and is within the square of Neptune, but at least it's separating from that and is two degrees away. So our electional chart for this month is set for um, July 8th, 2021, around uh, 10.30 or 11 o'clock in the morning so that you get Virgo rising. So basically just set a chart for that day and then adjust it until you get Virgo rising. And if you want, you can adjust it, maybe push it an hour forward to like 11.30 a.m. so that Mercury is on the degree of the midheaven or whatever it takes to put Mercury close to the midheaven in your location because this is a Mercury and Gemini election with Virgo rising Mercury ruling the ascendant placed in the 10th whole sign house and in its own domicile of Gemini while being direct um, in a day chart as a morning star. Um, it's a good 10th house election and a good Mercury election for communication and all things mercurial for the most part. Jupiter is angular in the 7th whole sign house in a day chart and it's overcoming Mercury through a superior sign-based square. Uh, the moon is in Cancer and it's applying to uh, especially an hour earlier, 10.30, you can catch it in most time zones. The moon is in the 11th house and it's applying to a nice trine with Jupiter from the sign of Cancer. Um, it is in the extreme waning end of the cycle where the moon is getting ready to make its new moon uh, conjunction with the sun, so it's at the last end of the phase. So Sometimes it's better for closing things down or wrapping something up, but there's different you know, communication type things that you can do in terms of that that can still be useful. And um, yeah, I, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I meant to mention about that. What would be what's a good archetype for like 
a strong mercury election where you're sort of wrapping something up or maybe ending a cycle rather than necessarily beginning a new one? I don't know, maybe finish it, finally finishing the edits on your out of print book. <laughs> right. <laughs> that you want to get a second edition out of. That everybody's been demanding and like hitting up even your friends to see if they have copies of, but they don't. And yeah. Uh, so you think you might do that? Okay. Well, that would be a great election. Yeah. Finish your, your goddamn book, Austin. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that is the electional chart for the month of July. There's, I think, three or four other electional charts for this month that we're going to release. Um, in the Auspicious Elections podcast that I do each month. And one other thing that I meant to mention this is a good time since I'm showing the animate chart feature, because everybody always asks me what software we use when we look at charts on the podcast. And the answer is that we use a program called SolarFire for Windows, which is an astrology software program for the PC. You can get it at alabe.com. And if you use the promo code AP15, you'll get a 15% discount on the program. Uh, if you have a Mac, then there's another program that's made by the same people. It's called Astro Gold for Mac OS, and um, it includes a bunch of modern as well as a bunch of traditional astrology techniques. So you can get that at astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code astropodcast15 for a 15% discount. And I just released a bunch of tutorials. Here's my, do you like my like trying to smile for like thumbnail uh, image here for, for the YouTube? I just Very released. Nice. Thank you. I, I was I just, actually really admiring your um, your like sexy marketing photo. Um, yeah, I thought maybe it was like um, you know stock photo or the company did, but like that's I, I recognize your bookshelf. It's nice right. work. It's nice work. <laughs> no, no, it's great. This is it all really me. Does. I had a whole photo shoot with my like MacBook and trying to get some good images. Although if you look really closely, and I don't think anyone would notice unless I pointed this out, I actually messed up on the Aquarius glyph and I made it black down there at the very bottom of the thing. The rest of them are yellow, uh, but that is the only. That's thing because Saturn's in Aquarius. Saturn, yeah, yeah. It. yeah. Saturn, Saturn has like darkened Aquarius in the two or three year period as it's moving through. Yeah, Saturn makes the sign that it's in Goth. Yeah, so I did a couple tutorials. So check out my YouTube channel for a lovely chart uh, tutorial on using this program, where I used Justin Bieber's chart and showed how you can use it to calculate lots or annual perfections or zodiac releasing or what have you. Which is one of the reasons I actually really like using this program. So that's my little pitch for the elections and for the software for this month. Um, that kind of brings us or wraps up the first week of the month and brings us, I think, to our first lunation is what we need to talk about now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we should kind of get sequential now that we've done a lot of overview, I think. Yep. Yep. Good idea. So let me share the uh, planetary alignments calendar again to show on January or sorry, July 9th, we get our first lunation of the month, which is a new moon in the sign of Cancer. And uh, luckily, especially for all the mutable sign rising people, this is we're we're now firmly out of eclipse season, and we've moved out of some of the instability and the great beginnings and great endings of eclipse season, which was honestly really entertaining to watch because I was seeing a lot of pretty much everyone with mutable signs rising, like Gemini, Sagittarius, uh, Virgo, or Pisces. Having just like major beginnings and major endings of things in like career or relationships or self development or their home and living situation. 
um, it was working out pretty much to a T in some of those those cases in a way that was almost sort of comical. Uh, did you? Neither of you are mutable signs rising, so you didn't experience any of that yourself. But did you see any uh, of that? I mean, I've like the eclipse was on my moon, which rules my ascendant. Oh right, you got the Gemini moon, and I have a you know mutable Sun, Moon, nodes, Mars, Saturn, Neptune. Gotcha. Uh, mm-hmm. So you saw a little little bit of changes. Oh yeah, um, I had some very profound experiences, and I would say like uh, in the I would just say like you know when you have um, a level of insight into your life where it's not just about right now, but it's like you're like. You know, you're looking at your life as a structure. You're in that, like, um, I don't know, sub basement, expanded time awareness place. And you're like, oh, like this, this is me, or this is, you know, this is how this works in my life in a way that like tracks back decades and will probably track forward decades. It was in the 12th. So it was more, um, like profound, um, uh, profound uh, awareness, right? Like slipping through a, a crack in the normal fabric of daily awareness and getting to that deep place, which, you know, um, and some of the insights there having an impact on the future. Um, but because it's the 12th, it was that rather than, you know, a big, a big thing happening, you know, at my front door or physically. Yeah. That sounds very 12th housey. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. Nice. Uh, what about you, Joe? How are the how is eclipse season for you now that we're we're getting out of it? Well, um, it was it was more intense than I thought it would be. I for some reason I thought I was kind of off the hook from eclipses. Now that my angles, you know, are free from eclipses and my moon is free from eclipses, but um, apparently having a Virgo stellium means the eclipse axis squares your Virgo stellium. Right. <laughs> um, nothing. Nothing like bad happening, just like so much, uh, very mercurial, just like so many ideas, so many different directions, so much incoming information in my brain, and just like capping out, overwhelmed. Um, so we'll just put it this way. I've watched a lot of anime in the past month. <laughs> I've been like, this is just what I'm going to do right now. Um, Have you watched yeah. Blood of Zeus? I haven't. Is it good? It's awesome. Um, okay. Yeah, it's, it's on my It's actually list. um way better than I thought. I we just started it a day or okay. two ago. It's um um it taps into I would say the spirit of a lot of Greek mythology. I'll just put it this way. It starts out by saying, you know, these stories, um this is an oral tradition. Some of it got written down, but not every story got written down. This is one of those stories. And I was oh, like, yeah. yes. Yeah, I want that. It's like classic, but also creative. Yeah, that and also, sounds fantastic. All right, I'm just going to talk about this a little bit. Um, as Jupiter, right? It's actually a really interesting meditation on Jupiter because it's literally like Zeus is one of the characters, um, and you see, like has a pretty Jupiterian character. And it, it's one way I've been kind of reading it is it's almost like a meditation on the like the virtues and failings of the like the raw jupiterian approach mm-hmm. right because it's not he's not um good or bad he's uh like most proper gods like very thoroughly both in a dramatic way 
Yeah. Yeah, I will definitely have to watch that. I'm I'm interested. Uh yeah, and then for just going back to eclipse season, I there were I like three different Sagittarius rising friends that were all having relationship drama because of the eclipse was in their seventh house and then the Mercury retrograde and Gemini went through their seventh house and I thought that was pretty entertaining to watch in a very literal literal way. Um, anyway, I'm glad we are out of eclipse season and I'm looking forward to our first lunation of the month, which is uh, this little cancer moon that's taking place around, it looks like uh, 17, 18 degrees of cancer. So um, how are we feeling about this? This is coming a little bit after you know that first sort of tense week of the Mars-Saturn-Uranus action. Even Venus is starting to get out of that T-square now. It's going to be at like 15 Leo by that point, where it's separating four degrees from Saturn at 11 degrees of Aquarius, and it's about a degree and a half off of the square with Uranus at 14 degrees of Taurus. Um, yeah, there's going to be an aftershock when the moon hits those in two two days after this full moon or new moon, though. Like oh, right. Venus is starting to leave, but the moon's going to be like, no, 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 not so quick. Let yeah. me translate the light. And that's also right when Venus and Mars meet up at like 18, 19 degrees of Leo. Yeah. But it, I think you're right in that the um, we'll be feeling the like, oh, no, we're kind of moving away from this now. We probably will during that new moon. There's just mm-hmm. like, again, I think maybe aftershock is a good way to put it. Right. It's not the the primary shaking. Yeah, that's true. I like this new moon just because it is kind of like a little reprieve um, after, you know, I, I think the sequence of the Leo transits during July is really interesting. I mean, and into August too, but um, Mars coming in, opposing Saturn, bringing in this more personal element, this what do I want element. And Mars being like, this is what I absolutely don't want. Because like <laughs> Mars is really good at, um, you know, Mars and Venus are both kind of desirous planets. But I think about Mars and like separation or um, severing and being like, this is what I do not want. Like, screw that. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. Venus coming in behind and being like, this is what I actually do want. All of this with this awareness of the obstacles or of the... Uh, whatever Saturn is giving, like the the circumstances you have to work with to make it sustainable or just hold it together, whatever. Um, and these, you know, this watery Cancer new moon um, that is thankfully not an eclipse is kind of like a little. I'm I'm thinking I've been thinking about this a lot as like this little rest point almost where it's like okay, are you remembering like to care for yourself and like the emotional component of what's going on as you uh, awaken to or fully get clarity maybe on some of these desires or just deal with the frustration. Like a malefic opposition in fixed signs just screams frustration. Like there's, I'd be very surprised if any of us got out of July without experiencing some frustration um, Mm. to whatever degree. But this is kind of like a, okay, check in with yourself. Like, your emotional needs matter too, like your care matters too. And I know the the trine from Jupiter is just a whole sign trine. It's not close by any means, but it's it's there in that um, it's, again, kind of like it's 
we have a little bit of space to be optimistic or believe or have some hope. And so it's like, okay, what, what about this like water element, emotional component can you do to support yourself while you're extremely frustrated on this other axis? Even though there, there is that separation, there's no ice cream in the poison type of thing, but like make sure you at least also eat your ice cream while you're getting the poison from the other axis. Yeah, I like that trine from Jupiter, that whole sign overcoming trine. And also just the fact that this is this is the first lunation new moon we've had in Cancer in a while that is not an eclipse and does not have like Saturn transiting through that sign. And even Mars, you know, going through Leo has now left this like two-month transit of Mars going through Cancer, where it's kind of um, you know, kicked up some dust. But this uh lunation, it's just a reminder that sometimes not every new beginning has to be like a major beginning of a major journey, like you know, uh, to use an analogy, you would like Joe, like a you know Sam and Frodo, like setting out to destroy the the One Ring, um, but instead sometimes a new beginning can just be like you know starting to do a different workout routine or like visiting a new restaurant or starting a new little low key friendship or a new um, hobby or something like that. Um, because it's a new moon, so there's something about like a new beginning or even a ending and wrapping of something up. But it doesn't necessarily have to be like a huge monumental like new chapter of your life. Like the past several eclipses and lunations have been there for the past few few years or yet yeah, year or two. Um, but instead, just a little beginning and a little ending. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say I wish Pluto wasn't opposite. Yeah. It's not super yeah. tight, but it's like applying in seven degrees. No, it's um, there, So there's yeah. a like, you know, it's a little haunted, right? Like it's a nice, like it's a it's a nice moment. It's a nice, you know, it's a little beginning ending um, that I think is nice. It's just sort of like, um, but you know that like in the distance, the 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 Nazgul still you know um, hunt the skies. Just yeah, not here. it's not here and not now, but they're out there. It's you know what it is. It's when Sam and Frodo are in Athelion and they're like eating Limbus bread and they're like remembering merrier times, even though like they can see like Minas Morgul in the distance and they're like literally about to go there. So it's not the starting of a the massive quest. It's munching a wafer of Limbus with your best friend on the way to Mount Doom. Maybe that's a little much. <laughs> no, <laughs> I like that. That's good. On the way to Mount Doom is totally Pluto. It's so true. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I, I like it. And also it's got that Neptune trine, which um again is a little bit, even if it's not very realistic, like adds some idealistic um tendency or some idealism or even like a just a glint of uh, a sheen of sort of uh nicer times, even if it maybe is not fully grounded in something. It, I feel like it's also emphasizing that Jupiter trine there and that sense of like hopefulness. Um, that is kind of nice for illumination, even if there's still some troubling times ahead, not not off off in the distance. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of like um, give yourself a little break. Like I'm thinking about uh, Kelly always writes these wonderful things for like soft aspects from Neptune or like the Moon transiting Neptune. Of kind of like give yourself the space to to really let yourself space out and just like dream a little bit or relax a little bit or like 
just dissociate into like a show, maybe start Blood of Zeus. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that that Neptune aspect too is it's wide, but it's there, but it's soft. Um, and even like Pluto looming in the distance is like there, but it's it's not the same energy as the the Aquarius Leo axis being kind of lit up. Um, and I think that leaning into that might be helpful. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree about Neptune. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that is our our first lunation of the month that is taking place there on the 9th of July. Um, not long after that, in order to actually kind of emphasize some of those cancer themes, we get Mercury two days later ingressing into cancer and finally leaving its domicile of Gemini and getting fully out of that Mercury retrograde and post-retrograde shadow period when it moves into Gemini on the 11th of July. Um, so uh, yeah, we're getting Again, just emphasis of some of the Cancer placements. There's the Moon going into Leo and Mercury going into Cancer, and that kind of brings us up to this interesting. It's small, but it's kind of a pivotal configuration when Venus and Mars uh, conjoin around the 11th and the 12th, and the Moon catches up and forms a triple conjunction uh, with those two planets almost simultaneously, which is one of the reasons that it's so interesting. So this is taking place around 18, 19 degrees of Leo on around July 11th, July 12th. We get this conjunction in Leo between the Moon, Mars, and Venus. Yeah, I um, I really like what you said earlier, Joe, uh, or the way you, you sort of laid out Mars and Venus, like Mars as um, negative desires, like what I don't want, and then Venus as positive desires, like what I do want. Um, you know, what I heard in my mind immediately with Mars was like, what I want is for you to leave me the fuck alone, right? Yeah. Like that's a very standard Mar uh, Mars desire. Yeah. Um, and the, um, you know, the, the conjunction and uh, confluence between those two, um, like that, that dynamism, like having opposite poles of sort of the same question, which like, uh, how do we put that? Defines the question better because it's never life is yes. like happiness is never just about having what you want. Because if you have what you want, but you also have what you don't want, you are not, you know, you're half happy and vice versa. Yeah. What you said about defining, um, that makes me think about oppositions and contrast and like how contrast is a really good teacher and it really helps define things as well. Um, it just seems like kind of a rhyming or parallel kind of thought. I don't know that I have much more than that to say about it, but but yeah, yeah, a very defining time. A keyword I'm thinking of with the Venus Mars conjunction is um, give and take, because uh, yeah, Mars is definitely more taking, and that was something I've been exploring lately. Is the Role of the malefics to indicate like that which takes versus Venus and the benefics being that which gives or provides something. And just seeing the conjunction of these two in Leo and maybe whatever house that falls in a person's life, um, trying to achieve parity between those two tendencies of give and take in one's life, which is always hard because usually there's an imbalance in some ways where either giving too much or you're taking too much or other people in your life may be doing that if it's a depending on what house it is, 
um, and just trying to find equilibrium between those two those two tendencies. Yeah, and I think that um, in any any relationship, um, their you know romantic friendship, you know whatever um, professional, um, there gets to just be a baseline of not just like sort of x amount of take and y amount of give but like what you give and what you take and maybe it's fair but you don't want to be given what you're given anymore or what you um you know were willing to give and let another take is now more precious and you need to hold on to that and that you know that it's time to kind of like rethink that um not just in terms of ratio but in terms of like what you're what you're giving and what you're receiving or what with mars can also be what you're doing for someone um mars gives by um achieving things for someone right like um you know the the firefighters in my region um give me something by going out and doing the forest fire thing so i don't have to right yeah yeah um, all right. Well, I think this is taking us into the following week where we have our third cluster of um, planetary alignments that happen in relatively quick succession, but especially Venus, um, which is moving pretty fast at this point, moving into Virgo on the 21st of July, the Sun ingressing into Leo on the 22nd, and then our second lunation of the month, which is the Full moon in Aquarius on the twenty third of July. Yeah, a little, little, little bit less, a um, little bit less hobbity than our first lunation. Yeah, that's for sure. What is our alternative fantasy or sci-fi reference for our, our second? Well, sci-fi for our Aquarius lunation. So, well, we should just say that. So this this is a full moon. Um, conjunct enough Saturn, right? It's not within a. Well, it is pretty tight. Okay. Uh, well, no, it's 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 well, it's it's nine yeah, like eight, nine, nine degrees. degrees, but it's applying. It's that's what the moon's going towards is Saturn. Yeah, it opposes the sun, and then I guess its next aspect is a conjunction with Saturn with reception. Right, which will then, you know, another act like basically the day after the full moon, it's right on, it's activating the uh, Saturn Uranus opposition. Or sorry, Saturn Uranus square. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't have an immediate sci fi thing. Do you have, um, do you have a reference, Chris? I'm trying to think of like, it's kind of like cold uh, Saturn things. I always think of like the coldness, but in Aquarius, it's like cold air. And that always um, strikes me more of like a Blade Runner type situation of the technological, like dystopian future themes that we've talked about off and on over the past year or so, especially of Saturn into Aquarius. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I think we can probably locate it into that um, <laughs> that that cyberpunk genre, right? You know, I was actually thinking this is not, I mean, it is tied into the lunation because Austin, you pointed out yesterday when we were talking that it's like we're getting space from the, um, the Leo transits, the, the Mars and Leo and Venus, or, uh, Mars and Venus in Leo opposing Saturn, getting some space from that. And then the full moon, like just bringing that axis back into focus, even though Venus has moved on into Virgo. 
Um, but it kind of, this lunation slash just the Leo Aquarius stuff in general kind of reminds me of, and again, I've been watching a lot of anime, so bear with me. But it reminds me of when like the hero in a story, or like specifically in an anime in my case, has been training really hard. They've been making breakthroughs and they go, they, they are fighting this like big enemy or opponent and you think they might actually have a chance. And then like either their teacher shows up or an ally is like, you are way, you're way outclassed. Like you will die if you face this opponent. And the kind of like letdown of just realizing like the scale of how much further you have to go to be yeah. able to face that opponent. And I feel like the Virgo ingresses are like the next training arc where it's like, okay, I'll do my best. Like back to training, back to the basics. This very difficult emotional experience of not being good enough to face this opponent um, is now data in a Virgo way of like, this tells me what I need to do next. Like, what do I do with this information? Train harder, implement yeah, new systems. I think that's a really good read. Um, it's, it's the, uh, um, it's being tricked by the training montage to think that now the, yes. now the protagonist is going to be able to just, you know, smoke whatever, uh, opposition. Cause and yeah. it's, it's also like, you know, we, we talked about this when we had our meeting the other day, the, um, the, um, you know, we, we were, when there's, it's easy to, in, to focus initially on the like Mars pinging the Saturn Uranus and they're like, Oh, but it's Venus too. And so it's been a week or two, you know, it's, yeah, it's been a week or two um, since that started to ratchet down. And it's like, how about a full moon in the same thing? It's like, Oh, this again. Mm -hmm. um, and then we'll have Mercury joining, um, you know, joining the sun on this again, uh, not much, um, not much later. And so that, that it also ties into that that theme, but yeah, I, I really like that as a read. Is like, yeah, yeah, that's great that you did the training montage, but full moon conjunct Saturn, um, you're you're you, you're not ready. <laughs> you will yet. still die if you fight the final boss. Yeah, um, you need to go grind for a while. Yeah, yeah. One of the things to note about this lunation, this full moon in Aquarius, is look at where Jupiter is. Jupiter at this point is at zero twenty six Pisces, so it is really close at this point, basically right on the verge of falling back into Aquarius. So this is like a lunation that's highlighting the Aquarius sign and the Aquarius part of our chart and whatever house that that falls in um, just before we get Jupiter making its sort of triumphant return back into Aquarius in order to um, return back to and, and finish the job that it started late last year and earlier this year when it formed that conjunction with Saturn. Um, so I think it's just priming and and warming up for uh, that work that Jupiter is about to do there in sort of calming and expanding and sort of improving uh, on the groundwork that it laid in the first few months of 2021. Yeah, or I could say it, it's going to, because it's a full moon on Saturn, it's going to um, spotlight the problems that um, Jupiter is getting called back into Aquarius to help with. There you go. Yes. You know, instead of Jupiter wanting to be back in Aquarius to help right. or whatever, we could just say it's like, no, 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 we need you. Like, I know you want to do Pisces stuff, but like, um, we need you here. Right. Uh, Jupiter's beeper has gone off. Do people know what beepers are? <laughs> it's a very like 90 <laughs> reference, but it's, it's phone has get, it's gotten the notification. It's gotten the like, 
WhatsApp text message saying like we need help back here because Saturn, when left to its own devices, is still uh, being overly cold and overly problematic in the sign of Aquarius, and it needs a little bit of lightening up in order to uh, smooth out this area of one's chart or in a mundane macro sense, like the area of, that this is affecting in the world in general. Yeah, um, we need Jupiter. We need you to do another shift, right? It's got to pull overtime. Second shift. It thought it had like gone home and like kicked off its shoes and was like was starting to like veg out and watch uh, you know its favorite series, but now it's got to go back Pro to work. Jupiter probably shift. watching the blood of Zeus. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so we we have the return of the king with Jupiter moving back into Aquarius. Um, late in the month, we get our Aquarius lunation. Um, let's see, Venus has gone into Virgo, and Mars is actually getting ready to shift as well. But we we don't get that until the 29th. Should we move? We should forward? talk about Mercury. Mercury's yeah. ingress. Okay. All right. So we shift to the last part of the month, uh, where Mercury ingresses into Leo on the 27th of July. And very soon after that, I believe forms a conjunction with the sun, right? That's on August first, I believe. The oh, right. It's a Kazemi. little later. Got it. But so it, could, it's coming into that, and it's yeah. so connected to all the themes we've been talking about. It's really the last um, activation of this um, opposition. The it's the last um, planet in Leo that's going to T square the Saturn Uranus thing. Right. And it's so interesting um, because Mercury um, makes the superior conjunction to the sun, does a perfect Kazemi like exactly opposite that Saturn. Mm -hmm. And it's weird it that that happens right after like Mars has just departed from Leo. So it's just gotten done like kicking up a storm and, and causing some problems in Leo. And then Mar and then Mercury moves into that sign, putting extra emphasis on it to sort of do cleanup. Yeah, and you know what I think of too is like Venus and Mars being very like embodied and a little bit more like visceral um, as planets in general, while Mercury and Jupiter to a degree are much more like mind oriented. And so it makes me think of like um, these desires we're having or revelations or what's illuminated, the things we want with Mars and Leo and things we don't want, um, Mars and Venus moving through Leo. Um, it's like Mercury following behind with the sun, um, having that superior conjunction with the sun in its domicile, opposite Saturn exactly following this um, and following a lunation in Aquarius is kind of like the mind catching up. And that's the Mercury that's ruling Mars and Venus in Virgo mm. as well. So it's like, it's, I, the training arc thing is literally all I can think about. Like Jupiter moves back into Aquarius. Sensei comes back and is like, no, you no, you need more training. And it's like, that's what's being pulled into focus is like, what are you going to do now? Like, what are we going to do now? This is a different kind of clarity um, rather than it being, um, I don't want to say just a felt sense or a visceral experience because that's really important. Um but there's something about like the mind catching up with this. At least that's how I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I think that's a really good read. Um, especially the, how should we say, whatever clarity, insights, planning um, gets done with the Mercury Kazemi opposite Saturn and square Uranus, that that immediately goes to Mars and Venus. 
who are in Virgo and are like, okay, so what's the technical implementation? Like they're both ready to do that. Exactly. And whereas Mars and Venus, when they were in Leo um, earlier in July, the sun and Mercury were in cancer for part of that. And it's like, that kind of feels to me like the the visceral embodied Mars Venus stuff opposing Saturn and like getting our feelings hurt or like kind of like temper tantrum energy. But then like the sun and Mercury being in Leo is like, okay, what, how are we going to own it? Like, what are we going to actually do about it now? And being able to like do the emotional care in the beginning of the month. And then like, so we are supported to move into a like, okay, what do we do now? The technical implementation essentially. And yeah, one of the and things I, I, that oh, go ahead. I'm just going to note that one of the things that happens that you pointed out, Joe, is that Mars, right before it leaves and moves into Virgo, before it leaves Leo, it has this parting shot where it opposes Jupiter, which is just retrograde ingressed into Aquarius from 29 Aquarius to Mars at 29 Leo. So that's our last like major aspect of July is Mars opposing Jupiter. So true. Yeah, it's like, welcome back. <laughs> I was yeah. just thinking it's like a fist bump in a weird way. They like, as they, I know it's not a conjunction, but. I don't know. I feel like it's more like, um, I don't know, uh, more like, it would involve a fist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was going to say a surprise kick in the nuts, but I think Mars and Leo was more direct than that. It's like, um, welcome back, like punch in the face. Um, and Mars is on his way out, right? So it's like yeah. that, that there's not like continuing whatever, but it's definitely like a rough, yeah. Know, welcome back, motherfucker. Um, yeah. Think of that. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the month starts with Mars uh, opposing Saturn and it ends with Mars opposing Jupiter. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, nice bookends. So one of the things I've been thinking about um, is okay. So, you know, this month, um, as I, th I think we've discussed pretty thoroughly, it's all about planets in Leo opposing Saturn and squaring Uranus. And we have, you know, we have activation from almost all the other planets, right? Um, Sun, Mercury, Venus, Mars, and then obviously Moon. Hey, that's, um, that's five of the seven visible planets, right? Um, and so, and that really lays out, um, really, as you were saying, Joe, with the Sun, like really shines a spotlight on what our ongoing crisis our ongoing structural crisis is right and so what's interesting is that that kind of gets left alone until november when the the same stuff is uh reactivated with a vengeance and so um taking your your training montage or protocol um uh, idea joe like so we've got like several months to sort of like, okay, so what are we doing about all this? When this comes back, um, when all this stuff comes up again, or when it gets activated, like how are we going to, or to what degree are we going to be ready for um, what's probably going to be a, a harder round three? So if this is round two, then, you know, we, we talked about it in the, in the year late, like round three looks like the roughest round this year, mm -hmm. but we've got time. Yeah, yeah, that um, that Jupiter-Mars opposition just before Mars moves into Virgo reminds me of like a point in a story where it's like um, 
not a parting fist bump, but but like a just like a punch to the face where it's like, I'll face you again when you can punch me in the face like that. Mm. Um, or something where it's like, you know, you have X amount of months or days to prepare to like face this opponent again or something. It's literally right. a parting shot. It's yeah. This, yeah. The second second act and that sets things up for for the third act, which is later this year when I believe you're alluding to Mars going through Scorpio, right, Austin? Yeah, well, there's a couple other things, but yeah, the 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 bones of it are Mars activating uh, Saturn Uranus again um, from Scorpio, um, and that also being entangled with an eclipse um, in a fixed sign. Right. So, isn't this then? Isn't that like? when our hero character if this was like a rocky movie like suffers a loss or gets knocked down and then we have the training montage this fall uh that builds up to the final like culmination at the end of the year yeah i mean and so (laughs) what is the one what's the rocky where um his like mentor gets killed in the ring right um like it like the um you know it's facing that like you know like that scary you know that is that Ivan Drago? Was that the? Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, Drago like kills um, the other Apollo? guy. Apollo? Is it Apollo? Apollo Creed? I haven't seen those Apollo movies Creed. in twenty years. So Mars opposing Jupiter at the end is like Apollo Creed getting killed, which is like a surprise, you know, sucker punch or something like that that happens at the end of July, and that sets us up for our final climactic act of the year later on, once Mars gets to Scorpio. Yeah. So a lot of training montages are necessary. Okay. Um, and here I'm just showing the uh, graphic from Archetypal that Kyle from Archetypal Explorer made for us for the last episode, which um, I'm having trouble bringing it up, but which uh, just helps to illustrate how we kind of broke this up in terms of the year ahead forecast um, based on when Mars would come in at those three different points and uh, yeah, activate that square between Saturn and Uranus, which is our main narrative this year. So right now we're in the second part of that this month, especially at the very beginning of July when we get those hits of Mars, but then we've got one more set that's going to take place later this year in November and December. Yeah, so another metaphor just occurred to me. Um, like I, I like our, our our training montage and that's very like personal in the sense of like what do who do I need to be? But um, for, on like a terrain level, it's like playing a tower defense game where you have X amount of time to like build up your defenses. Then the waves come. And so July is a wave of the, the fixed stuff. And then we're going to have a couple, couple more, um, couple more or several months to like, you know, do the building phase again before there's another wave in uh, November. I love that. That is yeah, my favorite crazy. analogy that I think I've ever heard you use on the podcast. <laughs> uh, uh, because I was very, I had a string where I was very into like tower defense games, um, but especially as a fixed sign, somebody with fixed sign, sign stellium and pretty much everything in fixed signs, that is exactly what it feels like when Mars goes through fixed signs this year, is that's when you're getting like a wave and you're just trying to defend and like shoot down the attackers before they breach the defenses. Uh, and then in between, when Mars is going through the mutable and cardinal signs, you get a brief reprieve to build up your defenses again. Oh, I'm glad you, glad you like that one. I, I didn't realize you were you were such a fan. Yeah. Um, 
All right, so this is bringing us pretty much to those last things. So at this point, of course, we've got Jupiter is um, you know fully back into Aquarius, um, and we're kind of getting towards the end of the month here in terms of the major major configurations. Um, let me check the outline. What are we What are we missing at this point? I mean, anything? We definitely got all the big stuff. Um, yeah. Let's see if there's anything small but important. So here's, let me share the alignments calendar for it's August. There's July. So yeah, we just got Mars going into Virgo, Jupiter going back into Aquarius. Um, July, August. There's August. I don't want to get ahead of us, but that's what we have to look forward to next month. You're in a stationing that Sun Mercury conjunction we've been talking about at the very beginning of August, which is kind of tied in. Um, do we get a second lunation in Aquarius? Is that right? We've got a blue moon. Full moon situation going on here. Really, have two full moons in Aquarius in a row. Yeah, because the first one is so um, early in the sign that means it opens it up, so there can be another lunation in the same sign at the in the following month. So that means Aquarius is just getting fully lit up, um, starting in July, but carrying over into August, which actually makes sense since we have Jupiter also retrograding back to that sign. So it's not just Jupiter, but also the lunations putting emphasis on it as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. So Aquarius is important. That's like first house stuff for me. What uh which is like health, self-development, image things. What are you guys, what's your Aquarius stuff? Oh, it's my eighth. So um you know, a lot of times like there there's a there's like um a spiritual and a relational component. To the eighth, but there's also like, um, like I'm working on getting my tax structure better so that mm -hmm. I will know how much I owe and not be shocked and surprised, um, which is like very real, but also very boring. Right. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's funny how often taxes come up in the eighth house, though, and how literal that is. It's such a thing. It's so right. true. Yeah. For me, it's my seventh, and it's also. Um, sort of still my Saturn return phase. So I've noticed it's been showing up not only just like with my primary relationship, but like with my counseling astrology work, uh, mm. the way I do it, how sustainable that is, et cetera, et cetera. And just like how busy I am with my counseling stuff um, and just kind of gaining more practice and skills. So it's been a variety of things, but it's relationship stuff, seventh house stuff, Saturn return stuff in general. So nice. Yeah. I would say one thing I would say is that I think it's been my experience with, um, doing consultations, um, that to a certain degree, you're, you're almost like doing, um, planetary charity or service in a way that like smooth things out for you by dealing with the prop, like talking, if, you know, Mars is in your seventh, like talking to someone about like, I have all these Mars problems, or, you know, I'm angry or this is happening. You're like dealing with the um, malefic very clearly um, and trying to help. Um, yeah. And I've definitely, yeah, I've definitely like seen that just kind of happen naturally. Um, Cause sometimes like the, the, like uh, a partner, like a close relationship, like you'd see in the seventh, is definitely the you know primary signification. Um, but sometimes, like let's you know, let's say it's you know it's Saturn in the seventh, um, and let's say you're in a relationship. Um, all of what Saturn 
has to say as a transit can't necessarily come through that relationship, right? Not every relationship, yeah. no relationship can like be anything. Um, like there are certain parameters to that, good, bad, and other. And so like, it's sort of like what's left over comes from other people. And, um, you know, consultations, uh, client work in whatever field um, is has this interesting astrological element in that you're not selecting who comes to you. Right. You're kind of letting the, the, you know, the people and the gods and everything else like bring people to you. Yeah. And that's, yeah, totally all of that. Um, and I've been doing a lot of 12th house consultations too. And the 12th being like the joy of Saturn. Like I'm having so many Saturnian conversations with people about the 12th house specifically. Like, let me help you with your Saturn in its joy problems. Um, and like hold space for that. So, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that as such a big natural re remediation that some people worry about their malefic placements too much, that it's going to be something bad that happens to them in that area of their life. But um, more often than not, it's them helping other people who are in a difficult situation um, as represented by that planet. And it's one of the most active ways that people like accidentally play out their chart, but also do it in a way that's um, constructive and like useful. Uh, than than I can even think of. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I am, and I'm going through the Aquarius stuff. Is just me, my ongoing stuff to get my health back after last year and after the the COVID stuff, which I realized a really literal manifestation of that is Saturn going through my my first house. Is it getting sick and then like recovering my health? It feels like it aged me like ten or twenty years over the course of twelve months. So that my my memory is not as good. So you'll hear hear me sometimes on forecast episodes, especially with people's names, like not remembering names as much as I used to. So getting my health back and starting to get back in shape is one of the things I'm focused on this summer. And I'm looking forward to Jupiter coming back into Aquarius as a result of that. Um, one funny Mercury retrograde story that I had though was somebody reached out to me who was an audiobook narrator, and he was like, "Hey, I'm a." Working with this company that hired me to narrate your audiobook, and I just needed some clear. I wanted to clarify some things with you and just give you a heads up about that because they're being a little weird. And I was like, I, uh, yeah, I didn't hire anybody to do an audiobook of my book. I haven't done that yet. And so he informed me that there was a company that was like trying to rip me off. So that was really unfortunate, but I was super glad that guy was like a stand up guy who reached out to let me know about that. But it means that I need to. Buckle down and finally, I think, record an audiobook of my book, Hellenistic Astrology, which came out in 2017. And I'd been putting that off and not doing it, even though lots of people have asked me to, because my online course on Hellenistic Astrology is essentially an audio, an expanded audio version of that that contains all the diagrams and everything else. So it seemed redundant. But I'd like to get out ahead of whatever sketchy companies are trying to like rip off my audiobook by just putting one out myself. Only problem with that is because of the podcast and people are so used to my voice, I think I have to record it myself. So I've set like a big task of like recording an audiobook for a 700 page thick book um, over the course of the summer. So I want to put out some feelers to see if people would, would like an audiobook version of, of my book or would buy it. Uh, let me know if you would in the comments below on YouTube. And otherwise, that's going to be one of my like Saturn and Aquarius things is trying to balance my energy levels as I as I record that. Yeah, dude, better lube up your throat. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna send you of... so much chamomile and honey. Oh my god. Okay, 
I'll have a whole arsenal of that um, in addition to just like recording the normal four to six podcast episodes a month. So we'll see how that, how that goes, but I'm going to, I'm going to give that a shot. Um, other things I've been doing is uh, last month I experimented with doing a short version of the forecast on YouTube that was just like a five minute overview, kind of like I do at the beginning of these longer episodes, and it worked out pretty well. So if people'd like to see more of those, then please let me know for just a quick overview that you can either see as a preview to our more detailed forecast or as a sort of review that you can check back in more quickly during the course of the month. Let me know if you'd, you'd like to see more of those, and I'll probably put one out for July. Um, what are you two working on this month, Austin? Do you have any classes or anything coming up, or what are you doing? Uh, everything's just sort of ongoing right now. There may be some announcements. We'll see. I don't want to promise anything right now. Um, there's uh, there's almost certainly going to be a Sphere and Sundry release of one of the series that got banked, um, and I believe that that's going to be sort of up for um, uh, uh, a client, Sphere and Sundry clients to like vote on. I think Kate's going to do some sort of, because we've got a couple things that would all be cool. It's sort of like, you know, what do you want next? I have my vote, but um, <laughs> in this, I'm, I'm one among many. Nice. Uh, and your website, of course, as always, is austincopic.com, and the other one is spheerandsundry.com, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Uh, Joe, what do you have going on? Um, I'm on a brief hiatus right now from client work, speaking of all the client work, work in my seventh house stuff, uh, taking a little break. Um, I should be back. My book should be open probably late July. Um, and starting in August, my lecture that I did in the spring for the Astrology of Awakening Summit, uh, which is my 12th house talk, Waymaking to the 12th house, that will actually be available for sale on my website. Um, I originally thought it wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to sell it until next year. So I'm really excited to be able to offer that for anyone who missed it. Um, or anyone who has prominent 12th house stuff is into 12th house stuff <laughs> as much as one can be. Um, yeah, that'll be available August 1st. And I might have some announcements about a workshop or a something maybe later in the fall. We'll see. Um, but yeah, my, I have a mailing list on my website if you want to be in the loop for those updates at some point. Um, and my website is just joegleason.com. Awesome. That was a great workshop. And I know everybody that's watched it has really loved it. So I uh, definitely recommend Thank checking you. that out if people want to learn more about the 12th house. Uh, and I'll put a link to both of your websites in the description below this video or on the description page for this episode on the astrologypodcast.com. Um, as for me, I'll just be doing recording an audiobook of my book, which you can find out more information about at HellenisticAstrology.com, where there's an ebook version on Google Books or a print version on Amazon and Barnes Noble and fine bookstores everywhere. Uh, the book goes with my course in Hellenistic Astrology, which is the Hellenistic Astrology course, which you can find out more information about at theastrologyschool.com with over a hundred hours of audio and video lectures. Um, there were a couple of news stories I wanted to mention really quickly before we wrap up. One of them that was like a astonishingly literal like astrology manifestation transit was did you see that story in the news about um the president of France was like slapped by a random <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a random um just person in a crowd that he walked up to and astrologers, this is why I love astrology Twitter, because astrologers were very quick to run his transits. And since he was born in France, where I believe birth times are public. And recorded, um, astrologers very quickly ran the transits, and he had transiting Mars exactly on the degree of his descendant, 
the day that this event happened, which I thought was just a brilliantly literal manifestation of a Mars conjunct descendant transit that I'm going to put in my my memory bank for the future. <laughs> well, and maybe maybe that's the Mars Jupiter interaction. Right? I was just thinking mm. that. <laughs> right. You know, what did uh welcome back Jupiter like slap because it's not a devastating transit, right? But it's on, you know, it, it's a it's a solid smack. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and a bit of an insult. So here's the the transit. So it was his ascendant is at 28 degrees of Capricorn, and Mars was at 28 degrees of Cancer on that day. So not a good event. Not really making fun of it so much as just or light of it necessarily, but just it was amazingly literal. Because astrologers sometimes, especially in like modern psychological astrology, you might describe it. Metaphorically, as a slap in the face from from somebody else, but no, this is a very literal slap in the face from Mars. Yeah, you might say, well, there, you know, you may, um, um, how should we say, people may express their anger to you on this date. Mm. Right, exactly. That would be a good uh, general discussion. All right, so. I think that's it for this episode. So um, thanks everyone for watching. Thanks, Joe, for joining us. This is amazing having you. And it feels like things full circle because I remember you being one of our earliest like listeners and like commenters of the forecast episodes, like way back in like 2014, 2015, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember specifically when the forecast episodes started coming out, and I like I was the fangirl that commented on like all the <laughs> Facebook posts and stuff. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate you guys having me. This has been so much fun and it's such a huge honor. So thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks for this, being here. I think this was great. Yeah. You make a great addition to the team and I love especially your, the ability for us all to use extended, uh, fantasy Tolkien metaphors, uh, in more detail. <laughs> if you can count on me for anything, you can count on me for that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, our, our Hobbit friend. Um, and thanks, Austin, and everybody else. Thanks to the audience and everybody who joined us for the live recording of this episode, as we do every month, uh, to all the patrons who support us on our page, through our page on Patreon. We appreciate it. Uh, if you like this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe to the YouTube channel or rate it wherever you listen to find podcasts everywhere. And we'll be back again next month for the forecast for August. Which can we announce like who our next guest is at this point, Austin? I don't know. I, I would say it's your call at this point. Okay. Well, we're we're set, we're scheduled to have uh Chenny Nicholas joining us to do the next forecast for August. So that'll be our next guest who's filling in for Kelly. So looking forward to that. And uh yeah, we'll be back again next month with more podcast episodes and forecasts of the astrology of 2021. So thanks everyone for watching or listening, and we'll see you again next time. Special thanks to all the patrons that supported the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our producers tier, including Nate Craddock, Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Sumo Kopic, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Morgan McKinsey, and Kristen Otero. For more information about how to become a patron and get early access to new episodes and other subscriber benefits, go to patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. Special thanks also to our sponsors, including the Mountain Astrologer magazine, available at mountainastrologer.com, the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, available at honeycomb.co, 
AstroGold Astrology software for the Mac operating system, which is available at astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 for a 15% discount, the Portland School of Astrology, available at portlandastrology.org, AstroGold Astrology app for iPhone and Android, which is also available at astrogold.io, and finally, the Solar Fire Astrology software program for Windows, which you can get from alabe.com, and you can use the promo code AP15 for a 15% discount.